So this is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, culture, mental health, and all that fun, jazzy stuff. Today I've got my special guest and friend, Sophie Renee. Hello. 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 Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. This is a re-recorded episode. This is a re-recorded episode, um, and that's great. <laughs> Are you? How do you feel about being re-recorded? Well, I asked for it, so I feel good. So, uh, for some background context, everyone, uh, I did re uh, did ask for a re-record because I didn't really. It's not that I didn't like what I said in my last uh, recording, but I just felt like there was more to share, and I could go a lot deeper. So yeah. we're here again, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will see what Maybe happens. Maybe just be as shit as the first one. I never know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> this won't. Um, but no, so tell everyone a bit about who you are and what you do. And I guess go into currently what you do. Well, currently I'm fun employed, uh, otherwise known as between jobs. Um, but I am an actor, producer, uh, assistant director. Uh, I've just finished working for a network for two years and eight months uh, in development and am now kind of figuring out the next stage of my journey, which will be some combination of acting, producing, directing, assistant directing, uh, probably being a runner on a reality show somewhere and just kind of, yeah, figuring it out as I go and, and having fun. Is that, is that feel like a, did that feel like a massive leap um, for you or is it, you know, because I know off, um, Mike, we were talking about it, you had had it planned for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a leap of faith, but it also feels a bit like returning home because I yeah. was doing all the production stuff before I went into working at a network and um, I kind of never set out to work in development for a network and kind of just said yes and rolled with it for you know two years and eight months. Um, and as much as that was an incredible experience and I learned so much, that kind of desire or sort of lust to be in yeah. the film industry and on set and and kind of in the trenches with everyone and collaborating at a much sort of more ground level um, yeah that didn't go away <laughs> so um yeah it, it was a long time coming I think and something that I kind of toyed with how to maybe do both and how to kind of yeah um keep my finger in the network pie while still making my own things and in the end I just I needed to yeah go back to the production side full time so yeah it's it's, it's coming home because yeah. I've been here before I've done the freelancing thing and I really love it so I'm you know excited to find my feet there again yeah because you, you you're one of those people who I would describe as very much like a, very excited by lots of different things but very mm. very like I think I want to say selective as well mm -hmm. because you have to be mm -hmm. um and I think net, networking has probably instilled that a lot harder mm. because networks obviously have to be quite picky about what they fund yeah. and they're fitting a criteria and everything um but yeah d does that make you sort of like sort of more excited because then you know what you're going into rather than when you're starting out and you're kind of doing it yeah I feel like when I think definitely for my career trajectory and and I think a sort of essential part of everyone's filmmaking career is yeah. there is a period of time where you have to just say yes to everything and kind of see what opportunities will come your way and roll with those. And, and from every opportunity I've ever said yes to something else awesome yeah. has kind of come from it. So I definitely started my career by not being as 
particular with what I did and just kind of saying yes. And that's led me to some amazing opportunities. But I am now at a point where I want to be very particular about what I do next. And I know what I don't want to do. Um, and I have a, a reasonably clear but still quite open um, idea of what I want to do and and am now kind of putting those feelers out to the industry and seeing what comes back and, and just really trying to trust my gut with yeah what that next thing is. And if, um, you know, I, I, I have... I was offered a job um, straight coming straight out of the, the network um, on a really great TV series, but the role wasn't quite right. And when they said what role was available, I felt my stomach sink a little bit. Mm. Um, and I went away for a day or two and sort of thought about it and it was a big opportunity to turn down, but I was like, that's not right for right now. And yeah. it was a great role and in a different stage of my life, I may, maybe I wanted it, but um, I'm just really trying to trust my gut in what is actually going to make me happy and what's going to make worth, make the leap of faith worth it. Yeah, which I, th- I think is kind of one is the hardest um, thing is like that worth um, and, and self-worth. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I, I feel like also a lot of people do forget, the, you know, self-worth when it comes to freelancing and it comes to creating and everything. They just kind of, as you say, when you're starting out, you kind of want to say yes to everything. And then you get to a point where you're just going, half the things you say yes to actually. A soul destroying. Yeah. Sometimes. And that's not that great. No. Like, and I think like in the film industry, you are working such long hours and sometimes for great pay, sometimes for not very good pay, sometimes for no pay at all. And so while I think there is a kind of rite of passage of doing that part of the process to learn your craft and learn the industry and and learn kind of how it all works, you do have to come to a point where, where you don't just say yes to everything anymore because it won't be fulfilling and, um, you will end up burning out and yeah, and absolutely not being satisfied by the work anymore. So it, it's a really fine balance between kind of saying, you know, taking on the great opportunities that come your way, but also knowing really what you want to get out of it because yeah. they, it, they are long hours and it is a huge portion of your life that you will spend at work if you're working in the film industry. So you have to find jobs that actually genuinely are aligned to what, who you are and what you want to do and what you're excited by. So yeah. Yeah, it, but it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a tough balance. <laughs> it, it 100% is, and I think, yeah, it's, and it doesn't go away. <laughs> that's often, like, that's the thing I say to everyone is, like, this is kind of just your journey through life is it's it's very much um, trying to work it out, make make ends meet. Um, and something I said we were talking about before we started recording was just it might not be financially viable. It might not be the best financial decision. Mm. You're not going to make millions. Um, but when you love a project, it, suddenly all the, those things kind of are worthwhile. Yeah. That's the thing is like, yeah, we talk about bad projects and there's nothing like some projects aren't bad because the script's bad or the environment's bad. They're just not something you can emotionally put yourself through. Yeah. Like it, because – you know, whether that's a friend's project or anything, it's sometimes just, you know, because so much else. We've got, you know, the thing that filmmakers, well, people outside of film assume is that, you know, film is our life and therefore mm. or we, we don't have families, we don't go home to anyone. And there's a huge kind of like 
most of the time we also forget it inside the industry. That's a huge thing where it was like mm. working over hours and everything. But we everyone goes home to yeah. someone, you know, either a loved one, a pet, whatever you you know consider, to, and unwind. Yeah. And the the thing that I think a lot of people in this industry do is bring work home with them. Yeah. And that's such a I want to say unhealthy way of, you know, problematic way of dealing. Absolutely is. Yeah. I think switching off is a really hard part for creatives in general. I think we, so much of our work and what we do is tied into our identity and other things. And I think it is really hard to switch off. Um, I've always tried to kind of live with the, the little motto, like, for me as an actor, you're an actor before you're a human before you're an actor. You're a human before you're a filmmaker. And also we're not saving lives. We're making television. And, um, sometimes you do have to remind yourself of that because it can be so all consuming. And I think, you know, the, the sayings like bleed for your art or the starving artist, like there is a social expectation as you're kind of saying that, um, that is, if you're a creative, that is all you do and yeah. that you will sacrifice everything else for it. And that is not healthy and it's not sustainable. And I think you have to find a really fine balance and actually make time, proactively make time to not be creating and actually just enjoy the downtime and yeah. connecting with family. And that's been a big part of me stepping away from a network as well because I was so consumed by that world and my life became all encompassed by that and I wasn't getting a chance to kind of do my own projects, connect with my friends in the way I wanted to, connect with my family in the way I wanted to. And I kind of got to this point where I was like, I am a shell of a yeah. human. <laughs> and that's no discredit to my job, but that was just not working for me anymore. And I couldn't keep, um, I'd be in a conversation with someone and the voice coming out of my mouth didn't feel like mine because- yeah. I was so disconnected from the people I was talking to and from myself at that point because I'd just been so consumed by this world and I was working 12, 14-hour days minimum, um, sometimes much longer. And when I wasn't working, I was like madly checking emails and I was just always on um, and just drained by it. So, yeah, I think it's it's a really hard balance for for creatives and people particularly in the film and television industry who – we do work long hours and then often that's six days a week or seven days a week. And when yeah. you're not physically on set, you're still kind of on call and like it never kind of stops, but you do have to find time to separate yourself from that and just yeah, chill and connect with the people around you who love you and will always be there, but also need you to be there for them too. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like um, there, yeah, there's sort of something that I jokingly used to say, ages ago to my mother it's just like I could never not date someone in the industry because people who when you kind of try and date and this is just my perspective Mm. as well I found it very hard to date people who didn't work in the industry because they just didn't get a lot of yeah a lot of how that craziness worked and they thought oh you know it was like those people funniest thing is whenever people go oh just call in sick and I'm like doesn't quite work it's like that. Really it, possible? No, We're not that replaceable. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm I'm one of eight people who can do that, and yeah. it's more of a hassle if I call in sick because I've stayed up too late. Then, if yeah. I go in the next day, like there is so many factors that I yeah. think people outside of that thing think that they can just get someone else to do it at home or you know like no. something like that and it's like no it no. depends what position you're in and sometimes people just aren't replaceable no no oh. definitely not and um i think i i think i took my first sick day 
at the network after I had already put in my resignation because I was like, you guys are going to have to deal with being without me anyway, so we might as well. <laughs> I was genuinely burnt out. I like, went so home after and slept two, for five hours. Two, two, uh, two, two, two years, years and, and eight, eight months. months for a sick the day. only sick leave I had used outside of that was when I had surgery and wow. physically couldn't work. So yeah. um, similar thing. I was like, I can't go home. Uh, and it's worse when you're on set. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. can't go home, so you just push through. Um, and I think, not that I want to talk about 2020 and, and COVID, but it has kind of brought a lot of that into light. Like I've been remembering the amount of times I worked on set yeah. sick pre-2020 because I felt like I had to. Oh, and now yeah. I think people are a lot more hyper aware of keeping your sickness at home. And I understand why, but I actually think it's also – a good thing for our industry because it forces us to go, I am not well, I need to not go to work today. Yeah. And people for the first time in my time in the industry are actually taking that seriously and saying, please go home, please stay home, rest up, come back when you're ready, which has never been the response before. It was like push through, yeah. you'll be fine, have some codril and get back out there. <laughs> so I think, you know, if we talk about a, a benefit of um, last year, I think people do actually take yeah. their health a lot more seriously and um, respect the need to rest and recover if you are unwell. And I think it's it's more widely recognised, especially mm. um, I think everyone who took um, in this industry who took like mental health awareness and everything just suddenly became tenfold. Like mm. it's not even just like being sick, but people were just more willing to be like, if you've had a bad day, people were more willing to talk about it. They mm. weren't just like. Eh, toughen up like there was just a this whole stigma that had been surrounding Australian industry for so long just suddenly started I'd further melting. that to just say Australia as well like yeah. it's not just the industry I think Australians in general aren't good at acknowledging mental health and wellness and those sorts yeah. of things we have a like she'll be right mentality yeah. in this country and that's very prevalent in the film industry of course but that kind of comes from those outside influences as well and I think as a not even as Australia like worldwide yeah. recognition of mental health and physical health and wellness and those sorts of things has definitely um been put in the spotlight in the last year and yeah and I hope and I think it is improving and I hope it continues to improve and that we don't just go back to old ways oh absolutely um, I mean like it, it's funny that you say that because I remember like this um that with the whole of Australia it is is true because I knew a farmer who literally had a concussion, like he got a big metal heavy um, thing fall on him, Ouch. got a concussion from it. He was back at work within the week. Yeah. Doesn't matter how hard he was. And he's like 60 something. And he was just like, yeah, no worries. I'll go back to work. Yeah. That was the mentality. If you if you got like any I've form of I've literally watched a soundie have a tree branch fall on his head on set and we all stopped filming for a little bit, checked he was okay and then just kept going. Right I mean, he was fine, we think, but like <laughs> no, what, we couldn't have gone for the rest of the day if he hadn't. So it was one yeah. of those things, but he genuinely had a tree branch fall out of the tree on, on his head. So. Wow. It's won't, amazing. Won't name names. No. <laughs> Legalities, right? <laughs> if you're there. listening, you know who you oh, are. <laughs> but I mean, that that is 100% like just our mentality. And I think, yeah, you're right. It is just every industry in Australians, we're just so bad at it. But we're also, I think also the other thing is we're very good at shifting blame. Oh, yeah. We are notorious. Pass the buck. Um, yeah. Not my problem. And it's one of the, my pet peeves is pass the blame. 
Yeah, and I think you do see that in the film industry because it's so kind of hierarchical. Yeah. Is that a word, hierarchical? Yes. Yeah, great, thanks. <laughs> um, because we are so hierarchical. <laughs> uh, it is a word now if it's not before. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is easier to either shift the blame down or shift mm. the blame up depending on where you sit in the hierarchy. Uh, we're definitely very good at that and just being like, oh, sorry, it's not my decision, it's – it's from up there or, yeah. oh, well, the runner did it. So, you know, like, my problem. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that is definitely a problem. Yeah. It's, it's, I feel like it's one of those things that it drives me kind of mental actually in a lot of ways. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where no matter what situation is like, just take ownership. Mm. It's the small things like, um, you know, we've both done producing and producing is one of the things that quickly becomes a shit fire a shit fire yeah <laughs> um but it's it's interesting because when you do have like client when you do relying on crew members and clients and mm. everything and you're like this in-between person who does all the magic to make mm. it happen there's a lot of the times where you just go if you haven't done your job it's very noticeable mm. be, but that's it like whereas when you've done your job well it's very you invisible know, you just become just a background working. <laughs> yeah you just become a background person yeah. and then everyone you know will get you'll get to set and everyone will be like what do you do and you just go i have organized all this and no one knows yeah because everyone's more worried about everything that's themselves. happening and today yeah. and themselves yeah, yeah um and that's another thing that i think drives me a little mental because um, when things do go wrong, they just automatically blame the producer when it's actually not even our fault sometimes that mm. it's because it's external to us, but yeah. suddenly all shift and blame is responded yeah. to us. And yeah, I think as the producer and also, you know, the first AD, like yeah. that is the responsibility you take on by putting yourself in that position yeah. is that regardless of whose fault it is and Nine out of ten, it's not your own fault, but you are responsible solely to fix it. Yeah. Um. And and that was your choice by taking the role. <laughs> like, it sucks, but <laughs> that's kind of you know part of the charm of the role is that you put out spot fires and yeah. you you've got to do it. And it's you know is that that vision of the swan kind of yeah. madly paddling underneath, and it's meant to just kind of look smooth on the surface. Uh, like you say, no one, if it is smooth and it's all working, no one knows all the hard work going underneath. But um, if it goes belly up, all you see is the hard work. And Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. It, it's it's so funny watching live television as well because having worked in it for so long. Yeah, which is world I don't know a huge amount about, but obviously you do, yeah. Yeah. Well, with live TV, you it's things technically go wrong all the time. And there's not a lot of room for error, I no. imagine. No. No. And and when error does happen, sometimes it's external, sometimes it's physically just gear not working. Mm. A lot of the time um a lot of the time it actually is gear just playing up mm. because technology doesn't just, make life easier. No. <laughs> um, it's wonderful, but it doesn't make your life easy. Mm. And a lot of the time when you see something and everyone goes, oh, that looked really bad on TV. You're like, yeah, I know five reasons why that could be. And people ask you questions and then you just go, at this point, I'm at home. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. But I know so many people who also just watch TV and get excited by that stuff. And that's kudos to them. Like kudos to them. But I also just don't care when I'm home and yeah. I don't watch free to air. Like I, d I just don't anymore because you know, 
Because you work in that. <laughs> I, work, I, work, I work in it and I get my news source from like Twitter yeah. and BBC. And when they took news off Facebook, I was like, but how am I going to know what's current in the world? That's honestly where I get all my news. And I know how shit that sounds. It's like that and then like 9news.com, which is the, I'm the worst at staying in touch with the world. But um, yeah, when they took off all the news on Facebook for three days or whenever it was, I was like, <laughs> the world could blow up. I won't know. I um, just not that I even use Facebook that much, but that's no. kind of it's it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's kind of the news cycles of yeah. our generation. I, I just found it it's funny horrible. when the the days after that was announced, everyone was trying to post stuff, and it just like Facebook would like, no, nah, you can't share media articles, and everyone was just going. Fuck you, Facebook. <laughs> like, yeah. Facebook just got so much flack. Yeah, it only lasted like three days. Yeah, and I think, I can't remember who won in the end. I think that. people or some news corporation, because it's still back on Facebook yeah. now. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if Facebook won that war, though, or the news corp. Like, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, I don't anyway. know. Um, I should know this, but I really don't. Um, power to the people. I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, capitalistic society, yeah, power Woo! to the people. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, a lot of the time, I, you know, I get my news sources from, like, the web mm-hmm. and when i'm when i'm at work i get it from work mm-hmm. but i also get it from friends so a lot of the, a lot of the advantages of working in a place where you work in live news is you get a lot of like unbiased and like speech that just is free yeah speech but the thing is when it goes through and i say this to all everyone there are so many layers of people that these news articles have to go through and there's always a curriculum Mm. that each network has to apply for because they are governed by their own rules mm. and their own, like, the media is such a weird thing as well. Such a weird um, Because you can't not be biased. And, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where everyone talks about the government or they talk about certain things, but they can't say they have politicians on and certain channels have certain politicians on. Yeah. That is the rule because they are like obligated for those channels yeah so it's so biased it's so biased yeah um but it's so funny because there's always these debates in the morning or you know if anyone's ever watched breakfast television there's always a politician debate on every channel it's just a thing and it's always funny to watch because it's just like a bunch of people asking really serious questions but the stuff you don't see is actually they all know each other very well yeah because they all work in the same building yeah and, and they jump off camera and they're just having some random chat and about probably th- don't even agree with what they just said on telly no. but- or they go home or they go and see each other and talk about their kids or yeah. they talk about family they yeah. don't talk about work 24 7 but a lot of people think that politicians and people on tv talk about that their entire lives <laughs> they don't yeah. they actually hate talking about it off-site yeah it's like the worst thing to ask anyone yeah Um, yeah we have other lives too guys (laughs) yeah and i mean like when you decided to go freelancing yourself Mm. was that are you like you must be excited to go back into that creative world but at the same time is there a a part of you that just also goes dear god i'm going to get to a stage where i'm just like going a bit crazy if people start asking me like outside of work continuously about film stuff or like what but i feel like that well yes but um working in a network and yeah being the person that you directly had to pitch to um i felt like i was just always on and always i couldn't go to networking events yeah without being pitched to i if i was at a party and with creative friends they all wanted to know how to pitch to me and it kind of, I got to this point where I was like, I am so sick of everyone 
wanting or needing something from me that I can provide, but like, I don't want to talk about when I'm not at work. So, um, I actually am kind of looking forward to going back to the freelancing space and being able to have those conversations because I genuinely love those conversations. I love talking about the industry a lot because I am excited by it and I'm passionate by it, but I want to be able to have those creative, vulnerable, open conversations and test the waters myself and make mistakes. And I didn't feel like I was in a position to necessarily do that um, to the same extent because of the position I held um, at the network and because there was always felt like there was kind of always this ulterior motive with people when they were talking to me because they just wanted to pitch their thing. And I'm like, that's fine, but let me talk about my thing and I want to bounce this idea off. And, you know, it just, I think actually it's going to be the opposite in that I actually get a lot more freedom back. Yeah. Um, and I, I love collaborating with people and having those creative conversations. So um, I'm quite excited to be having those again. Yeah, and, and actually being able to do something about them as well, and having the time and space to go, yeah, cool, let's go make that thing. Or, um, I've got an idea. What do you like? Do you want to come on board? Or you know, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm excited to be in that space again, and yeah. to have the kind of yeah freedom and space to play and make mistakes and be vulnerable. Yeah, which which is a very big, like it's such a big part of being a creative. But there's like there's no room for ego in that space. No, and. Um, I've, you know, I always try to keep my ego at check, but I think (laughs) when you're in a position like the one that I was in, Mm. um, it is, it makes it a lot harder to be vulnerable and go out and make mistakes and, um, to, to do that because at work people are kind of looking up to you for knowing, to know the answers. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which is, which is always a bit of a hard um, it's a hard balance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also like, yeah, people forget that a lot of this, um, you know, industry is making mistakes. Like, mm. um, you're going to have ideas that don't work. You're going to have like heaps that's, of things. That's where the, the created creativity lives is yeah. in the, well, as, as far as I believe, like the magic happens when you are willing to take risks and allow vulnerability to come through and, to um like break yourself open and yeah and go, what lives deeper there and um you know push through the discomfort uh but that's a very vulnerable thing because no one likes to feel like they've made a mistake or that they've failed or that they've yeah. done something wrong or that didn't work but actually i think that's where the magic lies um, yeah and allowing yourself the time and space and freedom and permission to go out and make those mistakes and it not be a failure, but an opportunity yeah. to grow and learn and do something new. Like, yeah, I think I think it's really crucial, but also quite hard. And you yeah. have to tell your ego to go take a back seat for that. Yeah. Bye, Bye. Felicia. Yeah, just leave me alone. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, that's that's entirely the thing and i think also was that always like that when you were young as well where did because you've kind of gone you've gone through many stages i have Um, i have so look no i i think i think i've definitely had to learn this over a long period of time but like i always knew acting was something i wanted to do i knew that from a very young age and did that kind of all through primary school and high school yeah yeah, with both school drama and then also outside of school drama classes um but 
it is very much in my personality to get things right. Um, very much a perfectionist. I'm a Virgo, can't help it. Um, and then when I finished high school, I moved straight over to Sydney. I'm from Adelaide originally. Moved straight over to Sydney and got accepted into a drama school here. Um, yep. I was the youngest in my year. And I think while that that school was probably one of the hardest experiences I've ever had. It also probably was the biggest teacher. So I was there for a year and a half uh, in their full-time acting course and had a hundred percent attendance, passed every subject, was very like, get it right, get it right, get it right, be on time, be early in fact, and do all the work. And in the end, I got to my mid-year assessment in year two and they asked me to defer. And go and take um, 18 months off. Uh, And that was a really hard thing to get my head around because, like I said, I had passed every subject and I had 100% attendance and I had moved my entire life from Adelaide to Sydney. I was 19 at this point, but when I first moved over, I was 18. And my entire world was this school. And within 20 minutes, that entire floor got pulled out from beneath me and um basically the kind of reasoning was you know we could graduate you in a year and you'd be good but we think with some more life experience you'd be great so go out get that come back um that was a really hard thing to kind of deal with at the time and I I threw myself into full-time work for a little bit and I decided the next day I was like you know what I'm gonna save up I'm gonna go to Europe and travel get this life experience so I threw myself into full-time work did that for six months, then went and travelled for six months, studied uh, acting for a month at Ealing Studios in London, mm. which was a really – so I didn't act for a whole year and then when I got to Ealing Studios, that was like the first day that I had started acting again since that um, – since being deferred. Um, and I think that experience, because I was over in London, I didn't know anyone and I knew I was only there for a month and then going back to Australia, it allowed me to try, kind of just – go fuck it and Mm. be vulnerable and there was so much kind of trauma tied into the whole experience from the year earlier as well that I just let this big release kind of happen there through my acting um and I don't know if it was any good or not but like it wasn't about that it was about just letting myself connect back to something that I loved and had been so hurt by and then I came back to Australia and I decided actually I didn't want to go back to that school because acting does require so much vulnerability and I didn't feel yeah. like I could be vulnerable in that space again given I didn't really still know why it had gone so wrong the first time. So I was like, yeah. I'm always going to be up on up on the floor questioning, is this what they want? Is this right? Blah, blah, blah. And I, I think I realized through traveling that it's not always about getting it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it is about being vulnerable and making mistakes, but I didn't feel like I could do that in that space. So I auditioned for a different acting school and got in and did two and a half years at that school. Wow. And I think that's where I really learned, like, it is not about getting it right. We we used to have a saying, um, I can't remember which teacher taught it to us. So again, if you're listening, I'm sorry not to credit you, um, but it was tear in the bucket, fuck it, which was like, once you've got your... Once you've got your good take and you know it's good and you just, you know, that's the safe option that's there, then you do a tear in the bucket, fuck it take, which is like get all your tears out, cry them out, get over yourself and then just do a take and have fun with it. And I will always 
with my friends and now when we're doing self-tapes and stuff, always be like, okay, cool, we've got it, we've got it, got it. let's just do a tear in the bucket, fuck it, take just for fun. And I think when you allow yourself to just play and go, this is going to be completely stupid and whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to let it happen anyway, that's usually where the magic is. So that was a very long answer to your question, but no, I don't think I've always been there. I think I've had to learn this the hard way. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm still learning. Like it is not my go-to to be vulnerable and make mistakes and be messy and let myself be um, imperfect. That's not my go-to, but it's what I kind of strive for every yeah. day as a creative to try to, because um, I know that's where the magic happens. Yeah. I think that's, I think as people, that's really hard. Because, you know, that goes back to society and the whole pressure of, you know, being a certain way. Well, I think as humans, like we want, what do we want? Food, shelter, love, and to be accepted. Like that is the base kind of need of every human, whether we admit it or not. We're all looking for someone to go, I love you and accept you as you are. Yeah. Um, And then you put society and, and parameters and boundaries and all that sort of stuff around it that says you need to be this thing and a girl is this way and you cross your legs when you're sitting at the table. You know, like from the day we're born, we have all these kind of parameters around us about if you do X, Y, Z, then you will be accepted. Yeah. So it's really hard to break away from that when you've spent your whole life being raised with that. And we've we've all got our own little kind of traumas and things that mostly are inherited and then some are kind of you find them through high school, through your friends and stuff, and then you go through uni and then you go through your first few years of work and then after that I think you go through this like unraveling stage where you have to peel it all back and go, who the yeah. hell am I underneath all this bullshit that I've been taught? Um, and that's probably where I sit now. I'm 28 now, so I'm kind of in that space of like peeling back the the layers. Yeah. Um, I just had Shrek in my head being like, ogres have layers. Onions <laughs> have layers. Um, sorry. It's <laughs> like a weird brainwave in my brain. That's how my brain works. Um, um, you know, but peeling back the, the layers yeah. and and going, who am I actually underneath? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crap. I think, crap. I think, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of that where it's, like also just people being vulnerable in the moment. Mm. It's something like a our defense system is to, um, especially these days. And this is what I say about relationships and anything and friendships. Mm. Um, people, you know, just go, I can't share this or I can't share this about myself because that will make me seem weak. Mm. Being weak is actually the bravest thing you can do because mm. hiding it is actually coward yeah it's it's the coward's way out of yeah. just going i don't want anyone to see this yeah so being vulnerable um yeah and just crying and being that ability like i remember growing up you know boys don't cry and all that things mm. and you know that that was the thing it was like when i got to a certain age it was like and i still get this like you get to because ge- different generations have different parameters mm, of what mm. they believe and w- different parts of Aust- australia as well as the world um but yeah everyone has these kind of like, oh, you have to be like this and you have to mm. be like this. And I think nowadays people will just as long as you're confident and happy with who you are, it's a lot. You know, people just go, oh, okay, well, I was never like that mm. and I'm still not like that, but I'm glad they are, but I don't know how to be like that. So I feel a little bit intimidated by mm. that, mm. but I'm not. And some people are great at they don't say anything, like they don't try and put you down or anything, but then you get the other side of the coin where people try and go, why the fuck are you like that? Let me ridicule you mm. um, because you're different. And mm. that that is, uh, you know, a society problem, which d- 
still happens to this day. And I mean, it happens like, you know, that I remember, I think it was like the last few years have been really the big protests of Women's March and, you know, and all these marches and protests coming out about how people dress and how people are and who mm. they are and individuality and everything. And I remember it just, you know, being never caring about how people dressed growing up. Mm. Um, and, you know, to a certain degree, I really, you know, dress how you feel comfortably because mm. that realistically, the moment you seem happy will probably be when you're comfortable mm. and then therefore it will be more attractive or, you know, and opening and accepting. Mm. But a lot of the time, yeah, there was just like, I remember walking out at night and you just see people just going, oh, isn't she wearing a nice dress or, you know, and just really creepy people. Yeah. And there was a real <laughs> sense of like entitlement that that guys grew up with mm. um, to comment on everything under the fucking sun. Yeah. Um, I don't know where it came from. Still don't to this day because I've never been one of those people. But yeah. it, it just baffles me because... It seemed like, yeah, growing up I, as a guy, you couldn't cross your legs. So I was teased with the fact that I like crossing my legs. And, mm. you know, just things like that where it was like, oh, you you like to, you know, wear like, you know, skinny jeans. Like, Why the fuck would any guy want to wear skinny jeans? Yeah. It's like now every guy no, in the sun. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Yeah. That- I, I like coming from Adelaide, which I, is a city, if anyone's wondering. So many people like it's not like a country town. It's a city, but it is it's a, a small, small city, city <laughs> and it feels a little bit like a country town. Um, and what was quite interesting, like growing up in Adelaide, I was very hyper aware of how I looked and what I wore, and I was incredibly insecure about mm. my body and just everything. And I, I was always taller, and I was always a lot bustier than the girls that I kind of went to school with as well, and. Yeah. Always felt physically different um, and therefore couldn't kind of dress exactly the way they all did. But like Adelaide, you can kind of walk down the main shopping strip in the city and all the shops have a very similar kind of fashion in them. So you can see whatever's going to be in fashion for that kind of um, sort of 15 to 21-year-old age demographic based yeah, yeah. on what is in literally every window. Yeah. And then when I moved to Sydney, I remember this – it it probably took me six to 12 months to kind of come around to the idea, but I just started to realize, I was like, there are 5 million people here who don't give a fuck what I wear or even what I do or how I, how I sound or anything because yeah. they are all so concerned with themselves. <laughs> and um, I then started to just really pay close attention to my own thoughts when I was walking out in the street or in my acting classes and watching other people's work and whatever and how I was thinking about them or whether I was judging them or like what whether my thoughts around them were positive or negative or what, whatever. Yeah. And what I kind of noticed was majority of the time wasn't looking at what they were wearing, wasn't kind of questioning why oh, why did she raise her eyebrow on that line or what because I'm all in my own head thinking about my own stuff. And, and when you kind of realize that literally everyone is doing the same, they're not sitting there thinking about you and what you're wearing and whatever else. They're really mostly just concerned with themselves and being insecure in their own space. And it kind of like just let me release it and go, you know what, I can wear what I want. I can be who I want. Yeah. It doesn't matter what other people think. And it really doesn't. And sure, there are a few bullies out there who will voice their opinion, but also that's from insecurity anyway. So it's really not that important. But um, yeah, I think... I think for me, coming from a smaller city into a big city, and I've been in Sydney for 10 years now, like that has really helped. And I feel it creep back every time I come into Adelaide, go back to Adelaide. I kind of feel the 
the insecurity of like, oh, I don't know if I should be wearing this or yeah. what are people going to think? Or I've got this, I had for years this one dress that I like would never take to Adelaide, even though I loved wearing it in Sydney because I was like, oh, it's just too bright for Adelaide. Or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so stupid. But um, yeah, it's, I think humans are weird. Yeah, it's that's the thing as well with, with, you know, Sydney and in general is a very weird place as well. But it's, it's very weird, diverse. But I think it's diverse and actually, yeah. look, Sydney's not perfect and we've got a long way to go. But <laughs> I also think in Australian standards, it is quite accepting. Yes. Um, and it is quite diverse. And I think Sydney, more so than other places in Australia, you can kind of sort of, it, it's got a bit of an anything goes policy. Yeah. Um, which I love about it. And I kind of look at the friendships that I've made in Sydney and they are so diverse and I've, you know, got friends from all sides of the spectrum and the globe and yeah, yeah, yeah. different identifying people. And, you know, like I love that I've been able to sort of meet so many different people here. And yeah. um, it has... I do often wonder sort of who I would be or where I would be having not lived in Sydney. Yeah. Um I don't I don't know. I don't know if I would have found that same level of sort of acceptance and understanding without having lived here, but um it yeah, I don't know. No, it makes, makes it, me wonder. But that's also sort of a sign of the times, I think, yeah, as well. Absolutely. And I think I think one of the things that I discover very, very quickly about Sydney is it's not quite Melbourne. Mm. <laughs> You're from Melbourne, yeah. No, I'm no. from here. Oh, you are from here. Yeah, I'm ah. a I'm a Sydney boy. Sydney boy. Um but I mean I do notice this about Melbourne and Melbourne, you know, how they are very pro a lot of things, but I think it's because the younger generation really kind of like went full ham there. Mm. It's a very art centric city. Mm. Um, they are very open about a lot of LGBT, um, QI plus, um, alphabet. Like, yeah, the, the whole alphabet, it gets very confusing <laughs> after you go for a while and you just keep adding letters. Um, I really want them to come up with a new name just so it's one yeah, universal just, name. Yeah. Not just, What's not just, R? um, you said LG, QR plus. What's the um, R? oh, hang on. So an I or A. Yeah. Um, uh, so L G B T. Q A plus. Yeah, sorry, so, I thought you said R, and I was like, "Has a new one been added?" And I've missed no, out. Um, cool, I feel fine. Yeah, <laughs> I was a bit um, worried there. I was like, "Oh God, I'm not an ally anymore. I don't know what R stands for." Um, <laughs> <laughs> Straight white female out of the loop. But um, I mean, like, yeah, the, the whole everyone down there is very much like different points of the spectrum, and you know, but very open about it. Mm. Here in Sydney, it's still there is a society in there, but it is less. Than it would be in Melbourne, and then over in other like I don't think WA really talk about it. I don't know what don't WA know. is like. I haven't been. No, no, I haven't been in years. But I mean, like the, the, you don't hear about it as actively. Mm. And I think one of the things that you know, also a little bit when I went to this was nothing against Brisbane or Queensland or anything, <laughs> but when I went to Qu Queensland and Brisbane, I really did feel out of place. Mm. Like I did, I because um, you know, being someone who is quite flamboyant and very like um mm. effeminate um it's yeah it's just very much you go to this space where everyone's really like masculine and yeah. you're like uh there's so much of just <laughs> i get I, it though it, not dissing my I have family in queensland um <laughs> and friends in queensland now as well but they're from adelaide so it's fine um but i always oh, i'm gonna shoot myself in the foot by saying this but like 
they just <laughs> I don't know what to say it. There's like a Queensland accent. Oh, and yeah. when I'm, you know, because I've been dating for a few years and stuff, but I've got this thing where I'm like, if he sounds like he's from Queensland, probably not. Because <laughs> it's just there's a little bit of a it's very Aussie. It's that kind oh. of masculine broad. Yeah. yeah, how you going? You know, and it's great. No, no discredit to anyone like that. But yeah, it's a very different world up in Queensland. I don't know. It's it's I love it. I love the heat. Maybe it's the heat. We'll blame the heat. I don't know, but I know what you're talking about. It's very masculine yeah. and very guarded. Yeah. Um. And we're probably seriously stereotyping. I'm so sorry to any of the communities up in Queensland who are I, like, I, you guys are so wrong. But it feels kind of like guarded and yeah. um, yeah, a bit sort of harder to kind of see. It's not just in your face like it is with Melbourne and then a bit with Sydney as well. Yeah, and I feel like Sydney is a little bit of a mid-ground where it has a little bit of that. If you go to the mm. outer skirts, you kind of do get that broader accent of a g'day, may I go on kind of thing. And then <laughs> and then you come to the city and everyone just sort of has this very generic yeah. city metropolis kind yeah. of accent and everyone just speaks almost like they're from the British Commonwealth. Well, how do you think I feel coming from Adelaide? It was even worse. Like I've neutraled out a lot now, but when I first moved here, people were like, where are you from? I'm like, Adelaide. And they're like, oh yeah, that'd be right. <laughs> like I said so many words wrong apparently when I first came here because it was all like, I used to say like, I can't remember what the, now I'm all mixed up with Sydney and Melbourne, but I'm um, Sydney and Adelaide, but uh, is it Devonshire or Devonshire? What do you say? Or Devonshire. Yeah, so I would say Devonshire. Like I, when I first moved here, I just had all weird words for things. I, I mean, like, um, that's always like I feel like just people's pronunciations. Also, of just words. That, yeah. This morning, I posted this on my Instagram. This morning, you guys call it a bubbler? Like for when you drink? Yeah, yeah. What bubbles about it? It's a drink fountain, it's a water, like a drink fountain. <laughs> I don't understand. It's not a bubbler. And the other one that really pisses me off is the, like, the little box that has juice in it. You guys call it a popper because it pops when you stomp on it when it's empty, which makes no sense whatsoever. It's not a popper. It's a fruit box or a juice box. <laughs> you just have such weird words for things in New South Wales anyway. It's such weird people. It. Such oh weird people. God. I'm just judging. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we are. I just constantly go on rants being like, you guys are wrong. Adelaide's right. Get over it. And then probably I'm wrong because. I think every, let's be honest. I think every state is wrong probably at some point. What's most wrong is Queenslanders calling them togs. I don't know how you got to that name. Adelaide calls them bathers, which is about as bad. (laughs) New South Wales swimwear. That makes sense. Um, (laughs) Because you swim and you wear them. Yeah. (laughs) Adelaide, we have bathers and sand shoes because you wear your sneakers on the sand. I don't know. Yeah. It's so weird. But I mean, like. (laughs) I think I it's also we've like we're better into, like, film we're, industry and words. I mean, the one thing is we're better than Tassie, right? What like, do they have? What um, do they say? They no, it's just because they're so remote. But they have bumblebees. They do have bumblebees, and those things do not look like they should be able to leave the ground. I <laughs> do not know. I'm not very good at science, but the like aerodynamics of a bumblebee just doesn't make sense in my brain. I'm like, your wings are tiny and your body is very large and fluffy and fat. Like, I don't get it. Anyway, like we've really gone off track. Can I'm I just so say, sorry, people. <laughs> but can I say that is if you're ever given like the chance to host a science show, please. That's what I'm talking they, about. Bumblebees, bumblebees don't work. Also ducks. They should just topple over front ways. Anyway, you guys can definitely see the kind of thoughts, wild thoughts that plague my mind at night. Do you, I'm not a good sleeper. This is I, what we do. Are you an insomniac? Like, 
No, I don't think so. I can get to sleep. I just then wake up at like 4.30. Is that because of work? Even if I go to bed at 3 a.m. Is it because of work? Uh, I've had three days of unemployment and I've still woken up around five. So I'm going to say no. no. I've just, I think just when the sun is meant to be rising, even if the sun hasn't risen, I'm like, sun's meant to be rising by now. And I'll wake up before my alarm. So this morning my alarm was set for 5.30 and I woke up at 5.25. Yeah. And checked my phone. I was like, that'd be right. It's very annoying. Does your um, bunny get up at the same time? Oh, my bunny wakes up when I wake her up. No, she. I don't actually know when she sleeps. I don't think I've ever busted her sleeping. I'm not really sure whether she sleeps with her eyes open or not. Um, but she occasionally, something was disturbing her the other night and she thumps. Like, you know, rabbits yeah. like thump to, um, I have a pet rabbit. I don't know if I mentioned that um, to everyone. Uh, but she was thumping and I've just moved into this new place where her cage is literally outside. It's like outside the house, but right outside my bedroom oh, yeah, window, yeah, yeah. door kind of thing. And it is so loud when she's thumping that I got up in the middle of the night and kind of tried to calm her down and she kept thumping and then I picked her up and gave her a cuddle and put her back in and she kept thumping. In the end, I had to bring her into the bathroom and just like let her sleep in the bathroom wow. overnight because I, I was worried she was going to wake up the neighbours. It was so loud. So I don't know. She's... um. I don't know when she sleeps. That was a silly answer to your question. I mean, I, mean, I also kind of disrespect the fact that she's thumping and like I think, crack a dawn. <laughs> yeah. It was like midnight though. And it was very annoying. But um, yeah, if I ever try to sleep in, I might make till like eight o'clock. But usually I'm a, I wake up at around 5.36 yeah. and then we'll doze for a yeah. little bit and then eventually get frustrated at the concept of sleep and get up and go wake up the rabbit and then go for a run or something. Nice. Something so. <laughs> I mean, I I am now a very good sleeper. How? Because I have a weighted blanket. I have a heated mattress, which I don't sleep on. That just like warm up the bed and then turn it off. Um, <laughs> I have eye mask, earplugs. Like I meditate. I I try all the tricks. I think it's just like how much screen time do you have before you go to bed? Probably too much. Yeah, there you go. But no, but even when I, <laughs> I try, even when I try to be good about it and like turn off the screen, do a meditation before bed, I'll still wake up at five. Do you read a book before you go to sleep? That will put me to sleep. Yeah, there you go. But it's not. I don't have an issue getting to sleep. It's wait. It's the Staying my brain is just active yeah. from four thirty five o'clock. Anyway, it's fine. <laughs> I function on little sleep, and we're all good. <laughs> Insanity will hit you soon. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you? Were you always like that though? Just really bad sleep. sleep? Yeah, and my mum and my sister are as well. It's just not a strong suit in our family. Interesting, but yet you seem like you're fr- fresh as a daisy. Kind and of I don't drink coffee. Yeah, so, which, which people think is insane. Yeah, for your as little sleep. When I was going through the period where I started drinking coffee, it was because I was getting a little next to no sleep. Yeah. Now. I just am addicted. Yeah, which which is why I've just never gotten involved. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Copy and I aren't friends. Um, genuinely though, and I mean this not to sound, it's going to sound arrogant however I say it, but I feel like I'm quite a like high-functioning human. I just wake up and most of the time jump out of bed and go. doesn't matter if that's 3 a.m., um, which a lot of the time when, you know, when I was working on reality particularly, there were like 3 a.m. starts or um you know late finishes and i think if i'm on i'm on and then yeah. i crash out every few months i lose all sense of a personality and need to sleep on the couch for a day and then i just get up and go again and i 
yeah, I don't need the coffee. I don't know. I have, I get tired, of course, but um, I kind of I go to bed late and I wake up early and I just yeah. do that over did, and over and over until I burn out. <laughs> does that affect your mental health at all? Though? Definitely what, like part of having to sort of step away from the network stuff was that, um, yeah, I was just working too many hours and, and trying to be too many things all at once, like trying yeah. to work a full-time job for a network and then trying to go home and shoot self-tapes to be an actor and then trying to get up and go to the, a gym session at 5.30 because as an actor you need to look fit and, you know, trying to do – and then and then find time to produce my own projects and it just yeah. became too much. And as much as I can function on relatively little sleep, four to five hours a night over two and a half years isn't sustainable. No. No, if anyone yeah. was wondering, not sustainable. I feel like there's going to be a medical like group now just so around your sleep starting. <laughs> sure I sleep. No, but I'm, uh, I'm trying. I just it's about discipline. I just need to get myself into bed yeah. earlier. I that, know that. I mean, like, yeah. In terms of, because did you grow up with any sort of like mental health issues or anything like that? Um. Oh, that's a good question. Um. I look in terms of. Because I know there's varying degrees of mental health. Yes. And I I think the first time I ever experienced my version of depression, um, and I didn't – I honestly, and again, this is going to sound arrogant and I hate myself for saying it, but there was a period of my time where I didn't believe I was someone who could get depression because I was just always overly optimistic and yeah. happy and – and a go-getter. And I definitely had some hardships in my childhood that could have sort of triggered that at any point. Um, you know, my, that, it was a fine childhood, but, you know, my parents divorced when I was young and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was challenging as well. So I'd kind of gotten to 22, 23 and never really experienced anything that I would have personally labeled as depression. Um and so I really didn't think that I was capable of having depression. And then I broke my ankle and developed a stress fracture in my knee and had surgery on my foot over the course of 18 months um, while, you know, I lost two grandparents and my my dad and my stepmom split up and um, I don't want to call it a, a family member of mine um, transitioned as yeah. well. And there was just a lot going on. Um, while I was studying full time and trying to yeah. be all these things. And I 100% experienced depression um, and got to a point in that where I got the closest I've ever been to not being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, and there was, there was really only one day that I kind of thought about what if I don't keep doing this? Um, and I was, I was driving Sorry, trigger warning. Didn't yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry. Tr trigger warning. You got a trigger warning at the start. I didn't know we were going here, but um, yeah, I was driving and I started just to have those sort of thoughts of like, what if I don't stop at the lights? And that was a terrifying thought because I never, ever, ever experienced anything like that before. And I um, that day, looked around, shopped around for a hypnotherapist and found a hypnotherapist in the area that, and I'd never tried hypnotherapy before, but. I yeah. just thought, you know what, I was at my last resort. And this was, honestly, this was at the end of 18 months of, I was about, I was facing having surgery on my foot, which would have put me back on crutches. Um, and I'd already been on crutches for eight weeks. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. crazy. And um, I, yeah, found a hypnotherapist and did 
within five weeks of hypnotherapy completely turned me around and I've never been back in that space again. Wow. Um, and I felt like over the last few months I was starting to feel little signs that that was coming back, which is yeah. why I had to make some pretty big changes yeah. um, because I'm a lot more hyper aware of mental health now and what I need to do to be in a good place with my mental health. Um, so I, I'm a big believer that everything happens for a reason. And I think that sort of 18 month period of breaking my ankle and, and learning what chronic pain does to one's mental health. And yeah. also obviously a lot of emotional pain in that time as well. I think it's made me a better person for my friends and my family because I can now understand mental health and, and depression and, and those kind of challenges in a way I never could have. And I was probably quite annoying to any friends that were going through mental health issues pre that time because I just I didn't understand it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I'm ashamed to say it now, but I was probably one of those people that just thought, oh, just get over it. Like, yeah. What are you, like, what's your problem? Because I, I just didn't understand it. And now I do in a much more personal way. So I'm really grateful for that time. And I think breaking my ankle was probably one of the best things that could have happened to me in, in that sense of yeah. personal growth. While it was a shit experience, um, I think it really forced me to grow up. Yeah. I and, know, yeah. That's, a, that's always like you need occasionally those eye-opening experiences. Yeah, you're like turning point moments. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I feel a lot of people who, you know, have those moments, um, you know, like I remember that was something my mum said to me. She was very much like that person. It was just when I was growing up, she was like, you're so optimistic. You can't get depression or anxiety mm. or anything like that. And I remember when I started to feel very, like, clearly not okay. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a very much like it is a, you know, I've definitely gone through doubt, um, times where it's just like, why am I doing this? Mm. Why, why, why do I continue living? And... To anyone who has ever felt like that, it it is hard. Like it's um, I you know, but I remember times like that. I've done it. I've just kind of I you know, I've seen medical help and you know, and mm. obviously like Lifeline and all that are great resources. For well, those. I called Lifeline. Yeah, and they were really not helpful. Really, because I wasn't suicidal enough the day I called them. Um, how does that work? <laughs> I don't know. And I, I am sure they're a, a great resource for the for people when they need them. But for me, on the day that I called, and maybe it was just the person I got, they basically said, are you, are you thinking of, you know, this? And I went, oh, well, I don't know, maybe. And I think someone maybe better trained to handle the situation probably would have known that I was, but I wasn't able to say it. Yeah. Um, because I was in such a bad mental way and I wasn't yet able to articulate what, what I was going through because I had never gone through it before. Mm. But they basically said, look, there's not much we can help you with if that's not where you're at. So go find a doctor. And that was so confronting because <laughs> I was like, it was such a big thing for me to even call yeah. Lifeline. Like I, that took such a big step for me. So yeah, I, I don't know. It was. I, um, I wonder if that was a, just a bad volunteer. Yeah, and it probably was. And I managed to get a good doctor that day, which helped. And then um, the hypnotherapy is what I credit to kind of turning yeah. things around. And if if 
those listening are kind of struggling with stuff and haven't tried it, I highly recommend just trying it. It won't work for everyone, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it, um, I'm someone who, you know, I can talk the talk and walk the walk. And as an actor, I'm very aware of my emotions in many ways and kind of know how to manipulate them and turn them on and turn them off because that's my training. Um, but actually implementing things at a deeper level was really hard for me. I could yeah. kind of go, yeah, 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 no, I know what I need to do and then walk out and never do it. Um, whereas hypnotherapy worked at a subconscious level. Um, yeah. And I genuinely not know what we dealt with in our sessions and kind of wake up and go, well, I don't feel any different. And then four or five days later go, hmm, I haven't cried once since our last session. That's interesting. Um, so it was kind of a, yeah, a process that I didn't really realize was taking place yeah. until about five weeks later when things had just turned around. Yeah. I mean, like that that's something that I also like, you know, it just affects affects people so many different ways. So many so different it's so personal. Like yeah. it's such a personal thing. And I think as well, again, it's kind of a sign of the times in terms of discussing mental health. And I suspect through high school I was no, I don't even suspect I know. Uh through high school I dealt with a lot more mental health stuff than I've ever probably acknowledged or knew because it was just not a conversation that people were having. Yeah. Um, And friends around me were dealing with stuff that, again, like I said, I didn't really know how to interpret it or handle it. Um, And then, you know, moving forward to 2020, where are we? 2021. Um, (laughs) I was like 2022. No. Ah, almost. God, it's so close. Um. You know, I have family members now who we talk very openly about mental health yeah. and, and they talk about their struggles and it's become a whole lot more normalized, which is awesome um, because I think humans are complex and I think we all experience mental health challenges at some stage in our life, whether we're aware enough to be able to recognize it or not Absolutely, is a different factor, yeah. but I think we all experience hardship and mental health and um periods in our life where that is a challenge and it's just about one being able to recognize it acknowledge it thank it for, yeah. for being there and and then seeking help if you need help i think i th- absolutely agree with that and i think a lot of people are just you know i, I know so many people have never seeked help mm. um and you know and people who have asked me and just go should I seek help? And I always go, if you think you need it, absolutely. But mm. I can't tell, I can't tell someone, mm. yes, go and seek therapy because I think you need it because that is going to be a detriment mm. because then they'll think there's something wrong with them. And there's nothing, I think people need to get rid of that stigma that there's something wrong with you. And there's yeah, just. Yeah, there's nothing wrong. It's just a, a something that you're living with and yeah. challenged by, but it's not your identity. It's no. not, um, you know, you are someone who are living at that time or being challenged by mental health. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what the right terminology is. It's not issues, is it? I I was listening to a great podcast about it the other day and now I've forgotten it all. But um, it is something that you are being challenged by at that moment, but it's not who you are. You are not someone with mental health issues in that identity sense. You are just being challenged by them at that time. Yeah. yeah, I think I don't know. I've probably just fucked up all the terminologies. Like that. <laughs> um. look, look, so is so many other people, and you know, you're not. You know, we'll all fuck up on the terminologies of 
like that. But I mean, I do agree because you're not alone. Mm. And also one thing that I think also people need to sort of normalize as well is that ability that everyone is going to, you know, that mental health is not just gender, you know, gender specific or mm. person specific. It can literally, as you say, happen to anyone, even if they think they're the most optimistic yeah. person in the world. And, and it happens when you least expect it. Yeah. And I mean, like, um, for me, it was like something that I didn't realize until I moved out of home was when I started developing like um, an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And that was something that was quite, I remember not talked about in the male community. It was not even mm. mentioned mm. because, and then when I, you know, I, I luckily had a great support of female friends, but when I started talking to them about it, they, they were like, oh, we can see that, you know, mm. like they were very aware that something was wrong mm. and you know the conversation would come up and they'd look up you know like help out and everything but i knew it was a very common thing in in girls mm. i knew 100 percent it was a very common thing so i found it more intimidating to talk to with guys about this thing mm. and when i found an ability to be like hey this is what i had and this is how i felt about it it became much more easy mm. and i think yeah it's just kind of one of those things that when you kind of you have to really push through these stigmas mm. that did you find that when you started talking about it with guys particularly that there was other people who were like me too and uh, that a you couple of people yeah, yeah yeah a couple of people definitely um not as many like definitely not as many as girls but definitely I had a couple of people mm. just go oh uh, yeah no I I hundred percent you know I, I relate to that and, yeah. or I get that and you know some people especially some guys who were very worried about physically how they looked because mm. there is equal pressure I mean I think women have the sort of societal pressures a lot more on physicality yeah. but there is still plenty of pressure on men and um that it, it affects us in different ways maybe but yeah you know, we're not no one's immune no and I think I think also when you know I think, you know, there, there was always that thing where it's like, you know, what, you know, I knew a couple of friends who were, um, you know, who were in high school and um, later transitioned later in life. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that was always kind of like a conversation because they used to, you know, you don't tweak into it back in the day when, you know, you're on high school and no one's kind of like knows any better. Mm. But the moment you get older, you start realizing everyone's insecurities at mm. different points and where people feel comfortable. And automatically... I think something that kind of made me go, oh, actually, that makes a lot of sense, is also like realizing that no, not e- everyone is very, especially during teenage years, comfortable in their own skin. Most or, of them aren't. Yeah. And then <laughs> in my just, experience. Yeah. And then you get to an adult and everyone's like, oh, I'm so much like happier now because yeah. I can be who I want to be. And high school is hard, man. Well, high- like hard. And, you know, interestingly, I think when you sort of asked, did I grow up with mental health issues, that threw me for a second because yes, but I, like I said, I didn't know. And I, I was so insecure in high school and I, um, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but I, I kind of flirted with an eating disorder where I, it sounds so stupid, but I remember almost being mad at the time in high school that I didn't have a stronger willpower to have an eating disorder, which is the most fucked thing to say now. But I was, I was so desperate. Like I've been naturally curving my whole life and I was so desperate to be thinner Yeah. that I would, again, trigger warning. I'm so sorry. Um, I would force myself to you know, yeah. purge or, or just not eat for yeah. as much as for as long as I could go, but then would cave and eat 
or yeah. would cave and be like, no, I'm not doing that. And I remember being so mad at myself at the time for not being stronger. And I'm also now as an adult so grateful that I wasn't stronger because obviously that I didn't want to have that. But, you know, that I, that is a mental health issue in itself. Yeah. That, that insecurity was so strong that I wished I had an eating disorder. So that, you know, that's fucked up as well. Um, but I didn't have the vocabulary. No one was talking about it. I didn't yeah. know. Um, all I kind of had was magazines and, you know, Girlfriend and Dolly. And they were great resource- resources in some ways and really terrible in others. And, um, you know, I, I had my friends, but all my friends were very petite and... Mm. And I just wasn't that, so they didn't really understand. And yeah, it was it was a, a hard time. So I think high school is hard and I want to be able to sort of shake high school students now and be like, none of it matters. You will get older and none of it will matter. Like you will be able to finally one day look at your body and love your body and just be okay yeah. with it. And that's again why I think breaking my ankle was such a great wake up call was because I was able to go, this is a vessel that takes me through life and it is not always going to work the way I want it to work and it's not always going to um, carry me the way I expect it to carry me, but it's mine and it's the only one I've got for the rest of my life. So why aren't I loving it and nurturing it and looking after it in whatever c- capacity it's in at the time? Like even if it's broken and not working, it's still mine and it's still yeah healing and growing and loving me in its best way so like you know we only get one body and the abuse of that body um is is so sad when you know yeah you get one i yeah. don't know like, i i agree with that and i think i think that's sort of like a you know why i'm very much like just you know look after yourself and a big mm. advocate for that as well as you know also just i think it helps having been in such dark places where you do know you didn't yeah. and from a period of time because you can appreciate yeah. when you finally do yeah but in saying that i do also like it, it does give me a great deal of empathy for other people absolutely and um and you know i often say to a lot of people in this on this planet people lack empathy mm. like no tomorrow especially mm-hmm. like you know in a busy city there is yeah. just none we are um, we're not taught not. to have empathy and i think we grew up in the 90s which the mm. 90s was an era of time where a lot of things were changing still mm. and the early 2000s and a lot of the way things were happening so we you know our 20s was essentially in the 2010s mm. um so and saying that, we've had the big kind of like after puberty and everything's kind of just like finding our way in the world mm. after high school. A lot of other changes happened. Yeah, I feel like the world was finding the world while we were yeah. finding the world at the same time. The world's like, oh, you can't abuse women. That's curious. And like, oh, yeah. actually body positivity is a good thing. And, you know, maybe we don't all have to be stick skinny models to have a good life like you know i think the yeah. world's really been through this radical discovery it's not radical guys it's pretty pretty straightforward um <laughs> <laughs> but like you know the world's got waking up yeah in, in the last sort of 10 20 years while we've also been kind of coming into our our own as yeah. sort of people who are mid to late 20s um look at us oldies i know i'm so I'm I'm nearing 30 and uh, <laughs> it's fine. I'm so fine about it. Um, but, 
yeah, I, th- I think it's an it's a really interesting time to be alive. And I, I have a 10 year old half sister. Well, she's just a sister in my world. But yeah, I have a 10 year old sister and I'm really excited and curious to see what kind of 20 year old she becomes. Yeah. Because in her lifetime, she's just like just growing up in a world that is so much more open and free and accepting and cha- like challenges thoughts and opinions on things Yeah, that I'm sure by the time she's 20, she'll be looking at people her age and be like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> as we all do. But um, yeah, I'm really excited to see what comes out of yeah. this wave of change because I th- there's a long way to go. But I think the the younger generations are smart and angry and oh yeah, um, they desperate for change and actually willing to take action, which I think is really exciting. In comparison to like, uh, and I think it's also it's it's really positive because coming. I think one of my th- mum went to the women's march mm. um, that happened not that long ago. It's probably I feel like it was last year, but anyway. I don't know. No, there was one recently as well because it was like twenty twenty one. But oh, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, I can't yeah, remember yeah, when yeah, it was. Yeah, but um but there was one recently and my mom went along and my brother's overseas. I was coming off a shift as I I was knackered as anything and my dad obviously couldn't make it. Mm. So I felt very bad because I was like, Well, this is a big deal for mom because mm. at being the only girl in the immediate family, mm. um, you know, this means the world to her. Uh, but obviously I, I couldn't be there. And all of her men are not there. Yeah, all her men aren't there. And I felt really bad about it. Mm. And, but I often, I will say this, I praise her to the nth degree. She is an amazing woman. But Yay, she, um, but yeah, she was one of those people who just always trained me and my brother really well. Mm. Like we grew up in a, in a household where it was, we were taught that respect was earned. It wasn't just there it wasn't expected Mm. and um you know and a lot of those good actually being civil being polite don't um, be a dick yeah don't be a dick um you know just don't be a dick in life please god (laughs) (laughs) too many people no one likes a dickhead um but yeah like there was all those that mentality and i think hopefully the younger generation who have or have all these Mm. speeches now you know, and and media and everything will go into this world and go. Yeah, as you say, you know, don't don't abuse women. Don't yeah. Don't judge people by don't judge a book by its cover. Don't have the, you know simple things that we remember mm. growing up with, but now extrapolated to the hundredth degree. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't know if if you agree with this, but I feel like sort of growing up in the nineties and the, the the early two thousands, there was still a sort of ignorance is bliss phase. Oh, percent. You don't know what you don't know. And we kind of, all that stuff was happening and I didn't know about it. And I think a lot of people didn't know about it and there were people who did and chose to ignore it and that went on far too long. And then there became the awareness of it, but like the kind of overwhelm of, oh God, it's fucked and what do we do about it? Yeah. No one really did anything for a little bit. And then finally there was this kind of like outroar. And now you've got these, say kids in the most loving sense of the word but these kids growing up now who aren't ignorant yeah they're they're aware and they're acutely aware because it's in their face every day if they're yeah. on if they're on Instagram if they're on TikTok if they're on the new like wherever they are and they are being swarmed with so much 
information daily yeah that they have no choice but to absorb it and listen if they choose to listen and i think a lot of them are are angry at the state of the world and rightfully angry at the people older than them who created it and also like want to take action because they see that that's the world they're growing up into and don't yeah just just because that's the way it's always been doesn't mean that's the way it has to stay and i i'm kind of sad that more with my generation we didn't do a lot of things to make change but we were also in a very sort of pinnacle period of time that was about the kind of peeling back of the veneer and starting to become aware and i think if you if we get a chance to sort of step back when we're in our 80s 90s hopefully 100 um hopefully the medicine's better by then and i won't be decrepit old like um (laughs) like i think we'll be able to look back and and see the kind of the journey that yeah. over the course of our life, what the world's had to go through and, and probably that period of ignorant, blissfully ignorant yeah. stuff was needed for the awakening, which I yeah. think is happening now. And it's and it's very interesting because it doesn't take, you know, TV shows, movies and everything like that. If you look back at the last 10 years, the way characters are written are completely different mm. now. Mm. And that is the evolution of just different political genders yeah. and well, 10 years isn't a long time and yet in in television world it's made such a difference i mean uh chris lily for example a, a great yeah. a great creator in a lot of ways and has also caused a huge amount of controversy controversy through his work um and i remember being in high school and summer heights high was all the rage and yeah. all the rave, all the rage, rage, rave, rave, rave. Don't, rave. Uh, don't care. Uh, <laughs> it was, you know, we were quoting all of it and yeah. it was the only show anyone was watching and no one questioned it at all. And then Angry Boys came out. And again, I, I remember slowly, like as his different series came out, just starting to go, mm, spouse feels questionable. I feel like that's blackface, but whatever. And then, you kind of look back now and you're like, that is so wrong. Yeah. What? But it was only 10 years, like not even 10 years ago. And now you can't have it on air and any like Netflix had to pull it all. So it's this weird thing of like, relatively speaking, it's been a very short amount of time in the the grand scheme of yeah. the world, but a lot has changed. And I think that's because there were the kind of dormant years of people going, well, I don't know what to do look away and then some very angry people actually speaking up and then other people going you know what cool wait now now i'm now i can act because there's power in numbers yeah so Um, it's a a really interesting time yeah and i mean like uh, also just i i don't believe in like necessarily getting rid of everything and and not being able to like view it Mm. but i do like it the idea of having warnings in front of films going this film may contain (laughs) racial prejudice this film was made before 2020 and (laughs) is uh now considered inappropriate yeah um yeah no totally i and and i agree i'm not for the kind of oh i don't know if this is the right term cultural whitewashing i don't know no, that's whitewashing is not the right word. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but like that cultural cleansing or whatever of all the content that's ever been made that was inappropriate, just ripping that all down and making it never yeah. to be seen again. I'm not sure that's the answer. I think we really learn from where we've come from and we have to be able to kind of reference yeah. those pieces and go, oh, that's really inappropriate. Now we know. Um, <laughs> we should have known then, but now we know and we're not going to make that again. Yeah. Um. So I agree. I think sort of trigger warnings and and – calling it out for what it is 
is important and not making more content that sits in that space, but also it exists as part of our history and yeah, I agree. I don't don't think it should just be. Yeah. And I feel like ignoring it is a detriment (laughs) to learning. And I, you know, I think like where is the line and I know I'm treading on waters here, but like the political correctness line I think there will come a point where we go too far with it and yes. we'll have to, uh, you know, it is, it's always the way where the pendulum has to swing all the way to the other side to kind of balance out. And I feel like we're there now, but um, someone at work was telling me that now apparently if you are, so hypothetically, if you're straight and married to, for, in my case, a man being my husband and then I'm talking to someone else and I don't know, their sort of orientation that I should say my partner, not my husband. Yeah. Because it's make, but I'm like, but if I'm straight and it is my husband, am I like, I can ask them, how is your partner? Yeah. Rather than how is your husband or wife, but not actually being able to then talk about myself because that's somehow impacting them. I'm like, where is the line on that? Cause that seems for me personally, I'd, I'd love someone to explain the justification for it because I don't quite understand. I don't understand the justification either. I think it really depends on the individual because I think the the difference is, and this is the other side of the coin, you need to respect other people. So people who are asking for respect also need to respect others in their capacity to be like, okay, I'm fine to ask you how your partner is, but I'm going to refer to my partner as my husband, my wife, because that's that's what we like Yeah, and and that's what we're comfortable with. Yeah. So... But then, you know, the, yeah, I get that because I feel like people want to just go set the the generic, you know, I'm all for gender neutral pronouns and everything. Same, and, same, and entirely like, same. Um, and gender fluidity. I Like I remember when I um, started telling people about being gender fluid and everything and like, you know, pronouns became public on instagram pretty recently mm-hmm. um, i know i changed uh, mine and then okay sorry the funny little fun fun story here just uh, to sort of interrupt you sorry i had written hershey oh, instead yeah. of she her my friend's like you're a chocolate hershey oh. i was like oh now i have to change it <laughs> no um so i'm no longer a chocolate guys i'm now uh she her <laughs> i love that that you were just a chocolate though that was amazing <laughs> Um, yeah. I didn't even think but about that. That's American I, brand clearly. right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were like, uh, yeah, so you identify as a chocolate? I'm like, what? <laughs> I feel like I need to say that to one of my friends because he would love that. Sorry uh, to interrupt you. Please continue. No, but I mean, like, I, I have everything under the sun. Like, I have he, she, they. And, like, you know, call me whatever pronoun you want to use. I don't mind. But... For some people, that is very particular. Like, mm-hmm. some people like specific pronouns. Yeah. And I think it's good that Instagram finally introduced it because, like, it gives everyone an, an option. But I feel like there will become a time, you know, I remember having this conversation with someone recently where they were like, do you think in the future, ge- you know, the world will be gender, you know, you know, genders will no longer be a thing? And I was like, probably not because I feel mm-hmm. like no matter what we do, you've got to have some form of, like, I think it's just the they'll become standards. Like mm. they'll become, you know, people will just not have it as the tick. They'll have the list of all your sexual orientations. Mm. They'll have a list of all the genders specific mm. things that you want to be called, and they'll just start doing that. But mm. I don't think you can alienate other people from wanting to be called what they want to yeah. be called, just so other people. Because this is the thing: two wrongs don't make a right. Mm. 
mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta find a mid ground, people. Mm. And I I know that's not what everyone wants to hear because clearly that's a also you know a fucked way of living. But th- mm. there there is no perfect way of living. There is no you know it's like everyone going to me. Do you think there's going to be you know a peace for world? No, because. Worlds have varying opinions. Yeah. Opinions are and strong. Humans are stupid. And yeah, 100%. <laughs> humans are stupid. But I also, you know, I think human beings will evolve to become something else and we mm. will continuously evolve because that is how evolution happens. Mm. Um, like with many species out there. And whether or not we leave this planet, this planet has only got how many more billions of years left to exist? If If we keep going at the rate we're going, it'd be a lot less. Yeah. But I mean, like that sun sun next to us is expanding. Mm. Like it is prepared to expand and shoot its heat rays across the galaxy. But we'll all die. Yeah. But unless we've left by that point, Mm. which is entirely possible... A lot of what we experience on this, and this is not to be a dad or anything, but a lot of what we experience on Earth is vital to the moment, but we've also got to live in harmony. So mm. we've got to work out a very harmonious yeah, way of that, living. That also needs to be planet included, not just humans. I think. Yeah. Like we are... Um, we are one so, species. So self-absorbed as a society right now and so unaware of the longer-term impacts yeah. and... Like the consumerism and those sorts of things makes me so mad because, like, we are just burning through resources at such a rapid rate that we will not recover in our lifetime. The the planet will not recover in our lifetime. Yeah. But if we don't make the changes in our lifetime, there will need not be a planet for the future lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the we're in a a an age. Um, that is very self-absorbed and very like me centric and now centric and very much about like, what can I get right now in the moment for me and not considering the, the the broader impact of that. And, and that's worldwide that, that kind of mentality. And it is so damaging. Um, and I often get very frustrated because I'm like, Oh, I can do my little bit and I'll limit my plastic and I'm, you know, somewhat, plant-based and I, you know, do my, my bit. Yeah. But it feels so insignificant at the same time because you kind of look around at, you know, the industries around the world and, you know, China and India and stuff. And it's like, how are we, how am I, how is my little not using glad wrap on that item really making a difference? But then at the same time, it's that drop in the ocean thing. If everyone does it. Yeah. um, A drop in the ocean was the wrong. No, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Drop in the ocean. Um, (laughs) Look yeah. away. That's Pe- called pebbles. littering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if everyone does it, then it does make a difference. Yeah. I, I don't know. But yeah, that, the state of the world makes me mad right now. And how we got to hear from uh, pronouns, I will never know. Um, <laughs> how did we get to anywhere because of pronouns? We'll never know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, just how do segues happen? Who knows? How do segues happen? Who knows? Uh, but um, yeah, no, I, back to the pronouns for a second. I think um, I think it's really great that it's a conversation people are having. I I think there needs to be some kind of, we'll we'll come to a point where we all kind of just land where we're happy. But I think, I think you're right. I think there's going to be more selection option boxes as opposed to just one general wash for everyone, because I'm not sure that's going to work either. I know that I am a straight female and I'm happy to identify as that. I'm also more than happy to not assume that for anyone else. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, it was a weird, it was just one of those conversations that I overheard in the office and I was like, I don't, I don't get that one. And I feel like I'm a pretty open-minded person, but that one baffled me. So Yeah. And I mean, like yeah. I, you know, I know non-binary people and I know a lot of, you know, different people who identify in various different ways. Mm. And however you identify as, yeah, is fine. Like there's no, nothing wrong with that. Mm. It's just we've all got to be respectful for each other as well. Yeah. And that comes to also the, um, you know, the cis community, which is like anyone who identifies as their, you know, birth gender. Mm. You just got to respect everyone else mm. um, because the more we try and alienate each other, mm. the worse it's going to get. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and- it is, it's such an in-depth, like you kind of, once you start that conversation, you just keep digging and, oh, I know. and digging. But um, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I will never make assumptions or I'll act very actively try to not make assumptions yeah. for, uh, for someone else and I'll I'll use partner until they confirm either way what their, you know, their partner is, yeah, or preferred. Um, preferred terminologies are and, and same with, um, you know, he, she, they, them. I'll I, I make a very conscious effort to be aware of that and not assume yeah. anything. But, yeah, when I'm talking about myself, I'm like if it's, my husband or yeah. whatever, I'm, that's not a reflection on them if I'm saying that. So, yeah, anyway. anyway well, no, I totally get that. I'm, I, like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally agree with you on that. I think that's very like, look, you know, it's a can of worms, especially because this industry, as we say, is keeps changing. We've got to like roll with the times. But I mm. do think there's going to be a comma point where you'll see characters identify in different ways mm. and you'll see everyone under the sun in front of TV. And it is diversifying. Mm. But sometimes I don't think the audience, I think the audience want diversity, but they don't want diversity at the same time because it's when diversity is shoved in their face, they suddenly go, oh, it's PC culture. You know, mm. the world's gone mad. It's like, this is what you want though, because the moment you see it, you'll be happy it existed in 10 years from now mm, because mm. you'll be like, oh, it's the start of something mm. that was be- bigger than what I thought at the time. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a slow fucking process. It is. But yeah. It's a strange as a, process. And, you know, yeah. people, people shut the fuck up. <laughs> and, just, and just try and live in some sort of peaceful harmony and respect each other. It just as yeah. we go back to the fundamental thing, don't be a dick. Yeah. And we all just want love and acceptance. Yeah. Like, that, that every human on this planet is built of the same matter and it doesn't matter what the color of your skin or how you identify or what your cultural background or social background or any of that is like we are all just trying to do the best we fucking can and yeah. get through this crazy thing called life and come out of it somewhat loved and accepted and you know like yeah absolutely None of us are getting out of here alive, but, like, let's be nice to each other on the way. You know? I love that. Don't be a dick. <laughs> I'm going to just be, that's the title of the episode, Don't, Don't Be a Dick. dick. Um, I think that's about right. Is that a nice way to wrap up? I think it's a great way to wrap up. because Don't a be nice, a dick. Don't be a dick. But, no, thank but you so much. Love, love, love your neighbours. Love your like neighbours. Like yourself. Love yourself. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you for having me back, and I hope this was better than last. I loved it. Trash that (laughs) you'll never, 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 never let anyone listen to. You'll you'll find it when I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) Just be like in your will. Give this to Sophie Renee. I die. No, thank Um, you for letting me come back, and I um. Yeah, if if you guys are still here, thanks for listening. I really appreciate your time. Did you have fun? And I hope you learned something. I did have fun. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Um, And yeah, where can people find you? 
Where can people find you on the socials? Oh, a little social plug. This is cute. Um, <laughs> I am at Sophie Renee underscore one on Instagram. Mm. And I have no other. I'm on Facebook with my name, <laughs> Sophie <laughs> Renee. And I don't have Twitter and I don't have TikTok because I'm not that cool and I'm 28 <laughs> and not of that generation. So, yeah. You say that, but so many people older than us have know, TikTok and I'm like, I oh, know. God. I told my mum to look into TikTok for her business the other day and she's like, oh, how does it work? Don't know. Don't care. Don't have it. Just look into it. It'll be good. Um, I'm just scared of having another thing that's going to drain my time for creating. So I've oh, avoided I TikTok. I spent enough time on Instagram. We're good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Sophie Renee underscore one Instagram. Hit me up. Love it. Yay. Go and stalk her. <laughs> uh, um, oh, and my rabbit, if yeah. you want to stalk her. She's at Bunderwhelming on Instagram because she's a personality adverse and uh, not very photogenic rabbit. Bunderwhelming. You'll find I her. love it. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> uh, this is the things we do. If you want to check out more episodes, then you'll find them on Apple and Spotify and I'll speak to you all later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.